So we are going to continue through the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 8. Who was here last week? Joe O did an amazing job, amen? Yeah, crushed it. Uh, If you didn't hear that, it's on the website or the podcast. Go check it out, but Joe did an amazing job. And he's hilarious. I feel kind of intimidated because he's so funny. So uh, last week he talked about the centurion, and it's this guy who has authority over 80 people or so, even though it's centurion. In actuality, they usually had authority over about 80 people. Um, So this guy's like pretty in charge, and this guy uh, is part of the Roman rule. And the Roman rule is ruling over Israel at the time. And, uh, and so, you know, the Jews, including Jesus, are under, under, by extension, this guy's leadership. And so you can think about the audacity of this guy to come up to Jesus, given that Israel's under Roman rule. And a lot of the thinking at the time was that the Messiah was going to come and bust them out from under Roman rule. And so this guy, who's actually a leader in the Roman army, and by extension, oppressing the Israelites... Uh, is the one who comes up to Jesus, and he displays this crazy faith that Joe was talking about that was astounding to Jesus, like brought him wonder. And one of the things that he talked about, I'm going to launch off of into our text for today, is he talked about how his job played into his faith life. It's really interesting. It's one of the, one of the most clear connections in the Bible about how God kind of interweaves everything in our life and things that go on in an area that oftentimes we would section off as like, God doesn't really touch that part of life. This guy cites as the reason why he knows about Jesus's authority and he knows about kingdom things. It's pretty amazing. Let's not forget that this is this guy's job, right? Like, let's translate it into our world. This is this guy's job. And, G- and he comes to Jesus, and he, said, and, and he says, hey, Jesus, will you heal my servant? And he says, let's go. I'll go to your house right now. So first of all, it's super bold of him because of what I just told you, him being a Roman leader. But then he says, no, 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 Lord, I'm not worthy even to have you walk with me. I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. Just send the word, and it will be done. And Jesus is like mind blown, right? He's like, oh, my gosh, like, this guy's got crazier faith than anything that I've seen in Israel. And the guy goes, yeah, it's because I sit under authority. I know what authority looks like because I sit under authority and I have people under authority of me. And all of these lessons that this guy had learned in his job translate to something where Jesus ends up saying, this guy's got insane faith. And the thing that I wanted to launch off of that today and I wanted to talk about us today is, why are we always quarantining off our life into sections? Why are we always like thinking about life as like, this is the spiritual stuff? This is the God stuff. Can somebody fix my mic? It's like uh, making a lot of noise. This is the God stuff, right? And then this is that other stuff that he doesn't care about. And sometimes we do it consciously and sometimes we do it unconsciously. But I want to call it out in this centurion story. That's not what we see here at all. We see a God that uses everything and that life lessons that happen over here, they translate over here. And things that are done over here, they translate over here. And we've got to get used to, in our thinking, a God that works like that in our life 
if we're going to see how he's moving pieces around, how he's interconnecting a piece from over here to here, and he's using our history to set us up to do well over here. The whole thing is this incredibly complex thing that God sees no boundaries around, no barriers around. It's all life to him. It's all spiritual to him when we do it right, when we do it with him. And so I want to talk about times in my life, times in people's lives where I've seen God do this and, uh, and then share out of the scriptures today as we go on that he just uses everything. He wastes nothing. And we have no reason to think that he won't come into the areas that we invite him into when we do, when we invite him in. Does anybody else pray for parking spots? I bet every hand that did not go up, it's like, I can't pray for a parking spot. Like, God's busy in the world doing something else. What's that? You need a car first. We can pray. <laughs> we can pray for that. We can pray for that. Uh, yeah, but this is one of those where, like, I'll, I'll talk about other funny examples, but this is one of those where I've heard, I've heard so many sermons where the pastor's up there and he's like, don't pray for parking spots. Like, pray for the world, you know, that kind of stuff. And my whole thing is like, why not pray for it all? You know? Like, why not pray? Why are we, why are we saying this is worthy over here? Like, praying for the nations and missions, that's very worthy. But this thing over here, that's not as worthy. Is it like God is like us? Is he like finite where he can go, okay, I can only do three prayers today for you because I've got three for this person over here. You just used one on a parking spot. <laughs> Bummer for you, right? <laughs> One of the best stories around this kind of like interconnection of life comes from our executive director at the ARC, Christina Boyles. Uh, when, yeah, 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 yeah. When, we, when she was coming on, uh, on the staff with us, the way that this all happened was she, she loves working out in the world. She's always had a heart for the nations. And for her years ago, the thought of working in the church was not something that was attractive to her. It's funny because in some churches, it's like when you're in the church, you're in ministry. In this case, you know, it's like, I don't want to do ministry at all. I want to be out here in the world. Um, but when we asked her if she'd consider coming on staff, she had a, like a hard time with it. She didn't want to do it, plain and simple. She's like, I don't want to do that. I want to go out into the nonprofit world. I want to be an executive director. And uh, we really needed her. And so we asked her to pray about it. That's the nice part about being in ministry. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go pray about it. Um, so she prays about it, and she goes for like a couple weeks, and she's uh, pre uh, preparing to tell us no because she hadn't heard anything either way, so she was going to go with what she wanted, totally understood it. And she has a vivid dream that night, and God basically tells her to go on staff with us. And so she's facing that position. It's funny, the different, the different like, expressions. Some people are like big smiles. Other people are like, oh, that's so sad. You know? <laughs> that was really funny. I could see like lips coming out and then like smiley face. And so she comes to us and she says, like, I'm going to come on staff. And, um, and, uh, and, and I think it was like a week later, she comes to us and she says, by the way, uh, John and I just got pregnant. Like, Nobody in the world knows except for you and Suki and uh, I think their parents at the time. I can't remember. But the point was is they had just gotten pregnant and nobody knew about it. And so the next day I go and sit down with Vince, who you guys know. Remember bald Vince? Yay hi. Yeah. Uh, 
So he, we, we sit down for, uh, for lunch, and we're talking, and, uh, and I say, he says, what's going on? I'm like, I'm really excited. Christina Boyle's going to come on as our executive director. It's going to be amazing for our church. She's spectacular. And I said, but it's kind of a bummer because she doesn't really want to come on staff. Like, it's her heart to be in the nations. And, uh, and he says, well, that's because she's pregnant. And I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, he goes, God's preparing her for a job that will serve her really well through her pregnancy. And so she doesn't realize this yet, but this job is being given to her as a gift because she's pregnant. And I'm just like, so awesome, right? Nobody in the world knew. I didn't even tell him that he was right in the moment. I was like, you're prophetic enough that you don't need the encouragement. I'll just keep this. <laughs> you keep the secret. I'll... <laughs> And, uh, and so I left walking down the street, and I was just like, God, you're so good, right? Like, you're so good at taking this path over here and then connecting it with this path over here. And that's not a trade-off between one or the other. It's just blessed and blessed. And I've experienced so much of this in my work life, too, where the lessons that I'll be learning as a pastor of the ark, I'll go to work, and I'll, and I'll be leading my teams at work, and I'll sit down for a one-on-one, and someone will have a challenge, and I'll be like, this is exactly what God's teaching me and doing with us at the ark. And I'll sit there, and I'll minister to the person. I'll just say, like, this is what I'd recommend. This is what's going on, and here's the wisdom that you need. And then I'll go into a work training, and they'll talk about how great leadership, you listen to your people, and you do servant leadership where you care for them more than your objective, and you, you know, make them feel exalted, and people who feel safe and at peace and exalt, you know, like, valued, they do their best work. And I'm like, that's what we were just talking about at church, how the kingdom of God works, where God's principles, when people feel healthy, they feel whole, when they feel valued, when they feel secure in the leadership that they're under, they do their best loving in the world. And I was like... All of this stuff is the same stuff. It all translates. The leadership that I learn in the leadership classes that I take at LinkedIn, I bring it right into our church life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like this is the stuff that I need to lead our church. God doesn't have any boundaries or barriers around the stuff that's going on in our lives. And I see so often, sometimes what happens is something will not be optimized in one area, And people will be freaking out about that particular area, myself included. Freaking out about this area where if you could see from God's perspective and you took a couple steps back and saw the whole board, you'd have total peace. And there's this principle in business that sometimes you sub-optimize the subsystem so that you can optimize the system. Sometimes you sub-optimize the subsystem so that you can optimize the system. Like oftentimes what happens in business is businesses break down because everybody's trying to optimize their subsystem while the system suffers because of those decisions. And the same thing's true in our lives. Sometimes, in a similar way, it feels like one of the subsystems, one of the silos in our thinking can't go in the way that we want it to go because God's got something else over here that he's working on that's more important at the moment, but he's totally got it. But because we don't see from a system standpoint, the whole map, we're consumed in the subsystems, oftentimes 
all of our attention goes to the place that's not going right, and, and we miss the thing, the broader thing that God's doing. And so this goes in both areas. Like this, this siloing is challenging in a number of different areas. Kind of the ones we just talked about is that the lessons from one area translate to another. But in the same way, sometimes one area isn't going in the way that we would call thriving because God's working on some other area. And that's totally okay. We just need to have the full view of our life instead of the siloed view where we're so consumed in that one particular thing. And so let's jump in here and let's talk about uh, a passage where, where I'll make a connection to the history of the church in this particular area, and then we'll broad back out. So it's Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, so this is right after he heals the centurion's servant. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So there's a structure in Matthew throughout the entire book, but right now we just came off of the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you guys who are taking notes as we go through the book of Matthew, we're entered now into a structure where we'll see three miracles. We'll see Jesus cost, talk about the cost of discipleship. We'll three, see three more miracles, another story about the cost of discipleship, and then he'll close with a story of three more miracles. So there's a very specific structure that Matthew is very intentional about doing here. But it's miracles, cost of discipleship, miracles, cost of discipleship, miracles. And so right here, we're in the part of Jesus' ministry where we see a summary statement. This is the end of the first section of those three miracles. Where, where at the end, as we've seen, as we've gone through the book of Matthew, he makes these concluding statements that tie us back to the Old Testament. And this head, he, sa- he says, this is to fulfill what was spoken about him by the prophet Isaiah. There's a couple of things here that I want to take out of the text, though. Um, the first one is, Jesus was really smart. Joel's all, that was deep. Mm. The, the reason why Jesus is really smart is he healed his mother-in-law, or Peter's mother-in-law. He just hooked Peter up for the rest of his life. Like, now Peter doesn't have to think about that anymore. No, I'm just playing out. But we see a familiar thing. So throughout this thing, Jesus, for the leper that we saw previously in Matthew, he comes and he touches her hands, the fever leaves, and she starts to serve him. There's this, there's this common response, even in the structure of Matthew that I just talked about, where it's three miracles, the cost of discipleship, three miracles, the cost of discipleship. This is kind of a similar thing where miracle, serving. There's this interconnection between the active love of God, the miracles expressed in the lives, and then they get up and start serving Jesus. And so this is actually kind of funny because it's like Karen's testimony a little bit. It's not just... The whole book isn't just people serving Jesus. There's this active love of God part that shows up in miracles. It shows who he is in his power. It shows who he is in his care for an individual person. And it shows what his, his will is on the earth. He comes and he touches a life. They get healed. They get restored. And then they go into service. It shows up in the book of Matthew as well as in this story. And if you look at the book of Matthew or any other gospel, there's one thing that will be striking to you about 
the ministry of Jesus. It's the same in every book. It's this. He teaches, he heals, he casts out demons, and he calls people to a higher life. That's pretty much all he does. He heals, he casts out demons, he teaches, and he calls people into a higher life. The thing that we've tried to do with this in the history of the church is emphasize one of these to the exclusion of the others. It's just like what I was talking about with the whole silo thing. In one part of the church, it's about preaching the gospel to the exclusion of these other things. In this other part of the church, it's about healing and casting out demons. We love the power stuff. Let's get the power flowing. And in other parts of the church, it's all about the cost of discipleship. It's all about the sacrifices that you make. It's all about calling you up into this higher life. And whenever you strip apart and silo out and break down the ministry of Jesus into one of these components, it's incomplete and the system suffers. These are a cord that you cannot peel apart. These are, these are components that must be thought about together. And one of the things that's happened, we're in a beautiful time. I, I actually am thankful that I have this perspective on the church right now. Larry's going to laugh at me because me saying in my 37 years that I have perspective on the church is kind of humorous, but I'm going to be so bold anyways as to say it. I feel like I have some perspective on the church because when I was growing up in the church, in the Christian church, there was almost no church that believed that God still actively healed or casted out, casted out demons. Like the idea in the United States, the idea that miracles still happen today was like laughable in a lot of the churches that went on. Even when I went to Cal and came onto the campus, there was not a single charismatic group on campus. And, and within those groups, very few people thought that God was active enough to do something like that. And I don't want us to be, um, I don't want this to be just about healing and casting out demons, power for power's sake. Because it's not power for power's sake. It's when those things are gone, when those displays of an active God are gone, then you lose faith, you lose hope in how active God can be in every area of life. And all of a sudden, you've ultimately siloed God down to this one area where it's about learning in your mind, it's about living a good life, and it's about spirituality confined into this. But when you believe that God is active, when he's healing people, when he's casting out demons, when he's solving real problems, it changes the way you see the earth. Like, for me, it's not important to, to have charismatic theology because it's, it's, it's objectively right you know, like, objectively right theology is very uninteresting to me, honestly. Like, I care about great theology because great theology brings life to people. Great theology sets people free because it's truth. Great theology keeps people safe, keeps people excited about life, keeps people filled with vision and passion. And when I saw afterwards that this is what I believe the church has done in this area of healing and casting out demons, where all of a sudden this was one piece of an integral part of Jesus' ministry that was pulled out and said, this doesn't happen anymore. I saw the effects of it on the church, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is devastating the church right now. Devastating the church right now. Because it's not just that the sick don't get healed anymore. It's not just that the demonized don't get set free. It's that 
God's not that active in people's lives. People don't expect him actively to solve real problems constantly that are coming up in their lives. And so we need to be very careful that the the teaching, the healing, the casting out demons, and the invitation into a higher life, sacrificial love, exists in all of the ministries that we have. The place where this came from is the difference between Greek and Hebrew thinking. So there's a big difference between Greek philosophy and Hebrew philosophy. The Bible was written in a mindset of a Hebrew philosophy. And one of the main things that's different about a Hebrew philosophy and a Greek philosophy is one stresses knowing experientially, and the other is knowing mentally. One is about a lifestyle. One is about mental knowledge, specifically. And so the Hebrew is concerned with practice, the Greek with knowledge. Right conduct is the ultimate concern for the Hebrew, while right thinking is the ultimate for the Greek. And so you can think about this. If, if thinking is the ultimate thing, and not a lifestyle where it's all-encompassing, you can see pretty quickly how you could get to theology that doesn't touch the real things of life. It becomes a mind, it becomes a mental thing only to the exclusion of, you know, your faith stuff needs to impact everything that's going on in your life. And so oftentimes, what we'll hear today, which is a very popular way of thinking, is you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and we're just good. Like, that's good. I want to break this down just really quickly. There's a part of that statement that is absolutely true. There's a part of, like, our job as Christians is not to control the thinking of other people. Everybody say that with me. Our job as Christians is not. What is this thing where, like, all of a sudden we think that it's our job to control the thinking of other people? That's crazy stuff. Like, who put you in charge of that? And if you're if your identity or your ego feels like it's in jeopardy when you're sharing the gospel that somebody might say no and you feel like you have to try to control their thinking into thinking what you think, that's your deal, not theirs. And so that line of thinking has to do probably a lot with that going on in the Christian church. But what is equally not true and absurd, if you really believe something, it should come through your actions. And so the idea that you can believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and that doesn't have any influence on each other is ridiculous. That what you believe in your doctrine or your theology shouldn't enter the other parts of your life and therefore impact me is crazy. Like that is a very Greek line of thinking. And the only way that that line of thinking can exist is when you have empty faith that doesn't enter into the other parts of your life. Nobody would say that about a Christian church that was on fire where their thinking aligned with their actions. The only time you can say that is when you see a Christian church where their thinking is this way and their actions are this way, and you go, well, clearly, like, clearly your thinking isn't lining up with your actions, and so let's just pull them apart. If we took this out by extension, I mean, there's a million examples where we could talk about how this doesn't actually really play out in the earth. Anybody with any kind of authority or power, you care a lot about what they think. 
I'll give one very easy example, and it's the example that's always given because it's so powerful, but we should care what Hitler thought about the earth because the dude had a lot of power and it came through in his actions and it ravaged half the earth. So this idea that you're like, your theology and your beliefs about the earth and all that stuff, like you think what you believe, that only exists in a world of powerlessness and in a world where your, your, your thoughts are disconnected from your actions. Jesus was not like that at all. Everything that Jesus thought were in line with his actions. Everything that he believed came out of him. He empowered other people to make his own, their own choices, but he was in charge of him, and he gave truth and allowed people to respond to it in the way that they wanted to respond to it. It was an ultimate honor of the other person's will while he played the role that he knew he had to play on the earth, but he never tried to control anybody's thinking. It's a beautiful approach. What I found when I was in my time at InterVarsity, so uh, I was on staff with InterVarsity in 2002, and uh, it was this interesting time in InterVarsity's history where social justice was the thing. Social justice was the thing that Ivy was going after. And there was this really interesting divide that happened within InterVarsity. There was the people that had been impacted by social injustice, and they were in the camp of, this matters a lot in the church. This is central to the heart of God and the gospel. And then there was other people who had not been impacted by social injustice in the same magnitude. And, and the common thing that I would hear as a staff leader is like, why do we keep talking about this? Why aren't we talking about the gospel? And so, you know, like the stuff that was being talked about was basically like racial reconciliation is really important. Knowing who you are ethnically is very important so that you can operate in the world in a way that's like you're conscious of your history, you're conscious of the way you come off fully, all of that stuff. And it was amazing to, to experience because the, like the majority of the, the ministry at the time of the people that were in the ministry were saying like, I don't understand how this fits into the gospel. And what this was at the very heart was this siloing thing that, that, that I was telling you about. What they wanted to talk about is confession of sins and the forgiveness that comes in God through that. And so it was this, this one part of the gospel to the exclusion of these other things. But then when we'd go to a text that Jesus said, basically like, hey, you, you came to visit me when I was in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. And they say, what do you mean? They were shocked. What do, what do you mean I fed you? And he goes, yeah, to the least of these out here that you did that for? You did that to me. And Jesus, like, pulls these two issues together beautifully. All over the church. So I talk about healing and why that happened. I talked about social justice. It happens all the time. Have you ever seen, like, the dialogue around money? The dialogue around money is such an interesting one. There's this whole part of the church that silos money off into an area where God doesn't care about except for the tithe right? God doesn't care about your money except for your tithe. Like, if you're in a financial hardship and you're praying for a job or you're praying for money, like, you don't pray for money. Like, you're greedy if you're praying for money. And so for some reason, it's one of these things like healing, like social justice in some parts of the churches, where there's these categories of things 
that for some reason are separated off into this other category and they're said, like, this isn't an area that God cares about. Why do we do that? I don't understand why we do that. I do it too. Maybe it's a part of, like, our limited minds. Maybe it's a part of, like, the way we've been trained. But the call to action of this message is we need to stop doing that. It is killing us. Because what it does is it leads to you not inviting God into those areas. If you don't believe that he cares about healing anymore because he doesn't care about the body, because he only cares about knowledge, you're not going to pray for healing. And that person will end up still sick, and there'll be a missed opportunity where the real active love of God could have healed that person, changes their entire life with God. Oh my gosh, all of, all of a sudden now I know that God knows me, cares about my illness, and wants to set me free. Very different than some mental assent about the gospel. Right? Or the social justice thing. Why does that matter? It matters because what does love look like in the world? What are we doing here when Jesus says go love the world if we're not doing stuff like that? Like, but there's a whole like, block of the church that will never enter into those issues because it's quarantined off into something that's not in line with the core of the gospel. And money's the same thing. What happens every time, listen to me please, what happens every time is there's an error in that area of thinking. The church responds to that error and says, I don't want any part of that, and then ends up in more error because they've just responded to the error rather than responding to the truth. The issue of money is exactly that. There's a few ministers that say, just name it and claim it. If you've got some faith, claim some money, put some cash in your pocket, and go. And then the rest of the church goes, that's absolutely wrong. Like, that is not the heart of God. And so then they go over here and go like, God doesn't care about money. You shouldn't either. You know, whether you have it or whether you don't, doesn't matter. Give your tithe. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, let's not respond to what we see is wrong. Let's get like a healthy relationship with money where God's a part of every aspect of it, the input and the output. Right? Like, he cares about the whole life, all of it. So, so wherever in your thinking there's like a, oh, that's too trivial or an issue, or, or God doesn't care about that stuff because that's off limits, that's like evil stuff, that's a part of my life that I, I wish wasn't there, so I won't invite. Like, we need to bust up all of those silos because it's killing us. There's an integrated view that I want to talk about. And this is worship is everything. Everything is an opportunity for worship. This is the integrated view of life. So I just talked about the siloed view of life. The integrated view of life is when I go to my job, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord there. When I get a paycheck, awesome. I just got all of this funds that I can use to do the will of the Lord. Lord, how would you like to use this stuff? You go to the grocery store. You have an interaction with the teller. This is one of those cases where I could stand before the Lord when I, when I die and have him say, do you remember when I was a teller and I was having, having a horrible day and you, like, bought me a coffee and made my day great? Thank you for that. That's integrated. That's Jesus in the teller. And then you go home to your family and you had a tough day and you sit in your car for a moment and you shake it off and you go, Lord, I need your strength because I want to go be the father that I want to be, that you want me to be. And you walk in your door and then you get to be Jesus to your family. 
And you get to stand before him one day, and he goes, do you remember that time when you came in and you loved my children? You're like, no, 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 Lord, you mean my children? He goes, no, 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 my children. <laughs> you loved my children. Do you remember when you came in and you shook that off and you loved my daughter exceptionally well? That was my daughter, your wife. Yeah, my daughter. This is the integrated life where everything is an opportunity to worship, where everything that you're doing is connected and meaningful. Meaningful. There's not an area of your life that, that loses meaning now. Before, it's like my financial stewardship, like, uh, God doesn't really care about that as long as I can give my tithe. Now it's like, no, 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 that matters. My financial stewardship now matters a ton because it's all an opportunity to worship him. God, like, I want to bring glory to your name and love you. Like, how do I do it with my finances? God, I, my friendships. Ooh, this is another opportunity for me to love you. Like, how do I do it in my friendships? Who needs some love today? Right? Like, everything is on the board now to be worship unto Jesus. This is how Jesus lived, completely integrated in every area of his life. It was funny, uh, this week, more people in the ark got jobs this week than I know what to do with. I was on Facebook. I was like, oh, another person got a job. Oh, that's cool. Another person got a job. It's like for some reason, like, God was throwing out jobs this week. Um, and it was awesome. But I was thinking about sharing that in a setting like this, and I, and, and I got nervous. And I was like, why am I getting nervous about God's provision for people? And I was thinking about it. I was like, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, seek my kingdom, my righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you, right? And so the thought that I had is, I'm nervous about sharing God's faithfulness in the all these other things will be added unto you. That's weird. Like, I, for, for some reason, I felt like I might get judged if I share my perspective that when God provides jobs, it's God providing a job. You know? And I was like, what's going on with that? But in Matthew, 5, in, in Matthew 6, what he doesn't say is jobs don't matter. What he's saying is they matter, but I've got it. So don't worry about it. Like, you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. He's not saying that doesn't matter. If you are spiritual, don't waste your time on that stuff. He's saying, no, 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 that's spiritual too. That's why I have that one. Right? Like, if he's going to concern himself with it, then it's probably significant and spiritual. Like, I've got that one. Don't worry about that one. And I think what we do is we tend to take some of the areas that we deem of lesser importance and say they don't matter. i got to show you one more, and then we're going to get into some good praying because there's a lot to pray about in this message. How about emotions? This was a big one for me when I first started walking with the Lord. Does the Lord care about my emotions? Because what I learned was Emotions are dangerous. If you follow emotions, they're going to lead you into a pit. And your life will be ruined, and so will your faith. <laughs> like, ser seriously. It's like, emotions can't be trusted. Emotions are dangerous. Faith has nothing to do with emotions. 
And so make sure that you stay away from that dangerous zone. And anytime you have a bad emotion, tell it to go away in the name of Jesus and go back to good thinking. Can anyone relate to this, by the way? Am I the only one? Who, okay. Does God care about our emotions? Heck yes. He gave them to us. Heck yes. So what's the right relationship with emotions? Emotions are horrible leaders. They're terrible leaders. Like, you don't want to follow your emotions. But they're brilliant signals to what's really going on in your heart, in your life. When you destroy emotions, you basically destroy your dashboard. Your emotions are your internal dashboard that says, hey, dude, I'm not doing that well in this area. And we're like, hey, rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's like, what are, you what are you rebuking? You're rebuking the signal on your dashboard that's blinking a red light. Or like you have joy in a certain area and you're like, oh, wow, like I feel so much life when I come in here. But, but don't, get it, don't, don't, don't think that's too important because you feeling the presence of God isn't that important. Faith is a mental game right? No, you come into the presence of the Lord and you're like, oh my gosh, I know this isn't the most important thing, but it's pretty awesome. I'm going to enjoy every minute of this. But what are we doing with all these areas of life that we're saying like, oh, don't trust that one and throw that one away. It's like, if it's important to you, it's probably, it's important to him too. That doesn't mean that it might not be good for you and that he might not want to get it out of your life. But he wants to be invited into that stuff, too, because you ain't going to get it out of your life if he doesn't do it with you. That's called self-righteousness. And so everything's on the board for him to be invited into. Everything. This isn't a siloed game for him. It's only a siloed thing for us. And so I wanted to just talk to us about, as we move into, like, so what? Other than stopping to silo things that he cares about into areas that we're saying he doesn't, let's, like, Let's make, let's make it the goal of our lives to make everything worship. That when we come in here for the worship set, it's just an extension of the stuff that we've been doing all week. Right? It's just an extension of me walking out of my job. I walk out of my job, I put my headphones on, and then I turn into musical worship rather than vocational worship. I just came up with that. That wasn't that profound. The other one that I want to challenge us in is what do you deem trivial? What do you deem trivial and therefore not invite God into? The reason why healing ended in the church was largely because it was deemed trivial. There's people who said, the body doesn't matter. It's a very Gnostic way of thinking. The body doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the spirit. And it's like, no, 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 the spirit's more important, but the body's important too. So we can have hierarchy stuff that's real, but we don't throw anything away. So I'll turn it back to you. What's trivial? Where is the line in your thinking from important God, important God, God's in that one, God's in that one, and then it drops off below the trivial line, and it's like, oh, parking spots. Like, that's pretty trivial right? Whatever it is, whatever it is, it can be an invitation into him. 
So let's remove the lines on the trivial scale, let's remove the lines on the silos, and let's live this like integrated life where everything becomes worship. Everything becomes an invitation to God of like, yes, I want you in that area too. Cool, let's stand up and worship. Well, musical worship. <laughs> it was funny because like some people were half standing up, so they're like, oh, am I going to have to sit back down? Um, so there's a couple things that I want to do. I want to have an awesome prayer time. We just talked about God being active in every area of life where there's nothing in the trivial bucket, there's nothing in the area that he does not care about. So I want to have an awesome prayer time. If you are sick in your body, we want to pray for you today. If you are hurting in your emotions, we want to pray for you today. If your family is not doing well, we want to pray for you today. If there's something when I said, what do you deem trivial, and something popped into your brain, like, oh yeah, that's too trivial, I definitely wouldn't invite God into that. Invite God into that today. Remove the boundaries of the areas where you'll say yes there, no there, yes there, no there. And use this as an opportunity to allow the Spirit of God to assess your life and say, I want into that zone too. Or maybe it's you've been siloing in a way where you're focused on this area that feels sub-optimized. I want to show you what the system looks like so that you can see what I'm doing or that you have trust for me in, in the broader perspective of your life. But let's get real about prayer up in here. So there's going to be people up here who are ready to pray, but I don't want that to be the limitation. If you're sitting next to a friend, I would love in worship for you guys to just break off and just say, like, what can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? And get bold about your prayers. If you're sick, let's pray for, let's pray for people who come in on crutches. If you're in a place where, you know, like, like, let's go after this thing. So gather around people who want prayer and let's pray for them. Amen? Cool. If you don't feel comfortable praying with somebody else, that's totally fine. Tell them you don't feel comfortable. And if you want prayer from one of the pros, no, I don't know, one of the people with the fancy badges, just kidding about the pros thing, um, then come up forward. But this is about God moving, not about our ability to be so brilliant in prayer. So let's just pray, and then we'll get into some worship. Lord, I thank you that you are the Lord of every area of our life. There are no bounds with you, God, whether it's on the really important to trivial scale or on the silos of all the different areas, Lord. There's, it's, just, it's just all worship in the way that you would have us do life. It's all connection with you. And so we thank you for who you are, God, and we just actively, right now, we just break down the barriers in our thinking. We break down those areas of shame we break down those areas that say, oh, I would be embarrassed to invite you into that part. We break all that stuff down and we say, Jesus, you're the most perfect, beautiful, amazing person and we want you in every area through and through and we thank you that you have endless capacity so we don't have to prioritize for you. We can just invite you in and know that you've got the bandwidth, know that you've got the strength, know that you've got the power, know that you've got the love. And so, Holy Spirit of the living God, we put our faith and our trust in your power and your love actively in this church right now. God, I pray that there would be signs and wonders and miracles that go through this that are still active just like they were in the days of Jesus, just like they were in the days of Elijah, and now, now in your church, Lord. And so we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that your miraculous hand would be working in this place as we worship your mighty name. Amen. All right, let's have some fun. <laughs>